6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 1 Timothy, chapters 3 and 4. They should be grave. That is worthy of respect, worth imitating, not double-tongued. They don't gossip. Let's read what that word means, gossiping. Not a sycophant. Forthright people. And not given much wine as before. Not greedy, filthy lucre. Reliable to handle money. Reliable to handle money. How hard that is to find. Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. A deacon who does not know the Bible is an obstacle to growth in the local assembly. That's one reason we have this whole little program we have with bronze, silver, gold medallions in our institute, is that as we get up that ladder, we have people of a known level of maturity upon which to build, you see. Simply a successful or popular businessman or generous contributor doesn't necessarily mean he is qualified to serve as a deacon. Just because he's popular, a major contributor, doesn't qualify him necessarily as a deacon. By the way, Paul and Apollos both were called deacons. That was not a demeaning title. Simply means they were serving. Now, the term mysteries in the previous verse, um, there are 12 kingdom mysteries. Mystery of the kingdom of God. That's everything that God has created outside of himself. Widely used term by Mark, Luke, and John. Mystery of the kingdom of heaven is not a synonym. Most people assume it is. That's a whole other study, but I'll just alert you to the possibility that Matthew only uses that term and he's using it in a more denotative sense. The mystery of the manifestation in the flesh, that is the incarnation of Christ. Christ was not only God, he was also man. That has all kinds of issues. The mystery of salvation by faith. We certainly hammered that home in our study of, of Romans. The mystery of the ultimate unity. That's the goal of it all, to be... That's after, after the millennium and the eternal state, that God may be all in all. The mystery that the Gentiles are in the same body with the Israel, ultimately. And uh, the mystery of the bride of Christ. What on earth is that all about? Is the bride of Christ the same as the body of Christ? Most people say they are. There are some that suspect it might be more definitive. The mystery of the harpazo, the rapture. That's a whole study in its own self, of course. The mystery of iniquity, that, that already worked. The mystery of the seven churches that Jesus talks about in Revelation 1. The mystery of Israel's blindness that we dealt with so such detail when we studied Romans 11. And the mystery of Babylon, the counterfeit kingdom. And uh, what's interesting, these mysteries had previously been kept secret, the scripture talks about in many places, and yet they finally get to the point in Revelation 10 verse 7 that they're finished. It's exciting. So there's a whole study that you can undertake about mysteries. Let's get back to verse 10. And let these also first be proved. Let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. In other words, put them to the test. An untested Christian is an unprepared Christian. 
You know, if you're a pilot, you're going through pilot training, you don't know what kind of pilot you are until you've had your first real forced landing. All through pilot training, the instructor pulls the throttle, forced landing, and he does it at the most awkward times. And you go through your procedures. You deal with the issue. You can do that over and over and over and over again. Still, you'll never know how will you react when you're up there and you've got an engine failure or whatever. You won't know until you have one. And when you have one and you go through the procedures and you recover and do what you're supposed to do from that point on, you have some confidence that the training wasn't wasted. You know what to do. But you won't really know that until you have a real one. So that's a... Talk to a pilot. He'll tell you that until you've had a real one, you really don't know how, you, how you'll act. And Matthew says, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. That was one of the criteria for the steward that's there in the subject in Matthew 25. There are training periods. Joseph had his training period 13 years in Egypt before coming prime minister. Spent where? In prison. 13 years. Think about it. You think he went through periods of time when you think God must have forgotten me? 13 years. On a trumped-up charge. Potiphar knew that his wife was lying. If he thought it was true, he would have had him killed. No, 13 years before becoming prime minister of Egypt. Moses cared for sheep for 40 years in the backside of the desert with Ivan de Carlo before he, you know, whatever, okay. Joshua, Moses' servant before becoming his successor. David tended sheep before invited by Samuel to become the anointed king of Israel. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Wives are the one's most important assets. And I, as I give this talk, my wife and I are celebrating 50 years that she put up with me. Have I been blessed for 50 years with the most incredible human being? Most incredible human being. The word slanderers here, by the way, is one of the titles of Satan. Diabolos means slanderer. Diabolos, you recognize as the title of Satan, but you may not know what the word actually means in the Greek. It means slanderer. One of the titles of Satan. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well, for that they have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's all pretty straightforward. The degree there, by the way, is a military term like rank, like rank or rung on a ladder, if you will. And elders were called from out of their own local congregations. They were not imparted from other places. Very interesting principle here. The elders in the congregation were raised up with the congregation, at least in those days. These things I write I unto thee, hoping to come to thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Verses 14 and 15. House here is household is a better translation. Born again into God's family is also the flavor of all of this. A pillar here in Ephesus, the great temple of Diana had 127 pillars, each one of them a gift of some king. So that was obviously an idiom of the street that they'd be familiar with. And the ground of truth, ground or bulwark is perhaps more accurate. The church is to protect truth, make sure it does not fall. It's astonishing that today we live in a culture that denies the existence of truth 
and prohibits it being taught in school. That's a failure of our pulpits. The problems in America can be laid at the feet of the pulpits of America. The church. The word is ecclesia in the Greek. It means assembly. It's referring to the political assemblies in the Greek cities where business was transacted by qualified citizens. It was the, you know, the town group. It means those that were called out, if you will. The, the ecclesia must be fed. What's it fed on? The word of God. If you feed the sheep, they'll multiply. You have to go run out and recruit sheep. You just feed the sheep you've got, and the rest will take care of it. It always has been. Church does not grow by addition, but by nutrition. All this fuss about church growth. Feed the church and see what happens. The ones that are blossoming are the ones where the word of God is being unmasked. Opened up. The church. Isaiah 59, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. That's a description of the absence of it. The decay of our nation must be laid at the feet of America's pulpits. That's my premise here. Verse 16, and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Boy, that summarizes it, doesn't it? What a sentence that is. After his resurrection, Jesus was only touched by loving hands and only seen by loving eyes. It's a prerequisite to understanding. Interesting. Okay, we made it all the way to chapter 4. Let's go on a roll here. We were in the officer church. Now let's talk about the apostasy that's coming. We talked a little bit about that in the preamble of the study. Paul had warned the Ephesian elders that false teachers would invade the church, right? Now they had arrived, and they, by the way, are still here today. So let's pay attention to what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. What's well, a graphic metaphor, isn't it? Also of your own selves shall men arise. That's interesting. Also of your own selves, men shall arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul speaking in, rather emphatically. So let's see what he says to Timothy now about all of this. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Devils in your English translation, the word is proper, more properly Demons. That's exactly what he had warned the Ephesian elders, that false teachers would invade the church. And now they had arrived. And they're still here among us. Usually on the radio. huh? Seducing spirits. What does that word really mean? Wandering, roving, vagabond. Planos is the actual Greek term. It's the same word from which we get the word for planets. 
the planets were considered wandering stars. And so the word planos means wandering or seducing. They're wandering spirits. Satan is an imitator. He has his own ministers and doctrines. Satan is an imitator. By the way, this is the only place that demons are mentioned in the pastoral epistles. It's right here in this verse. Paul warned that these false teachers would arise from within the church. It's interesting how many people in the public sphere that are teaching false doctrines have come out of what would appear to be the body of Christ. And the seriousness of idolatry and false worship of any kind is hammered away in Deuteronomy 13, among other places, all through the Old Testament. And of course, the epistle of Jude is all about that. And the second letter of Peter is all about that. So you want to just index your notes from this verse into the epistle of Jude, the whole thing, and Second Peter, the whole thing. And I'm always reminded about this when we visited Delphi. We one of our trips, we went to, to Greece. And because of my uh, uh, engineering background, I've always heard about the Oracle of Delphi. The word Delphi is used so often meaning predictive in some way because of the, or the, the traditional Oracle of Delphi. I've heard so much about this and in our literature, that I was, I was looking forward to visiting Delphi, seeing this place that was so prominent in ancient history. And uh, I remember going up this switchback trail to get up there. And as I did, I actually became physically sick. I actually had to excuse myself from our bus group, and, and I, I was sick. And it hit me as I was going up that trail that this is where they were giving offerings to demons. You know, I, I didn't see this in a literary sense, as I always had in my life. I saw this suddenly in biblical terms. And it, re it shook me up that uh, it isn't just some people that were deluded. These are people, a culture, that worshipped demons and uh, reap the whirlwind as a result. And of course, that's all through the scripture. You can chase that one down. Let's go on verse 2. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, you can get scar tissue on your conscience where it no longer operates the way it should. Hypocrisy of liars is the literal translation. And seared, the word seared there is actually cauterized. See, an apostate is not just wrong doctrinally, he's wrong morally. Their lives will reveal that. His personal life became wrong before his doctrines were changed. That's what these false doctrines usually are, is a, pers is a, a, a uh, uh, not pursuit, the opposite pursuit, uh, uh, running away from uh, accountability, avoiding accountability. Believing and behaving always go together. Believing and behaving always are linked arm in arm. Continuing what they talk about, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. The word meats there means food. It doesn't mean meat like animal. It's a, it's, a, it's a term meaning food. It's a broader term. than We use it denotatively. They use it connotatively. We're not supposed to eat this food or that food. He says, no, God created that to be received with thanksgiving. Interesting how many of these strange groups have rules that are strange, too. See, both those rules are contrary to Scripture. 
You are committed. To, you know, marriage is an honorable estate. And so is food. Even Peter got that lesson in Acts chapter 10. Beware of any religious teaching that tampers with God's institution of marriage. Beware of any religious teaching that tampers with God's institution of marriage. Marriage is the means by which God reveals his most intimate truths. Whether it's Adam and Eve, Boaz and Ruth, you name it. All through the scripture, the marriage is used by God to reveal the meaning of intimacy. Continue verse 4. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. Now that may challenge you in some places where people usually eat a lot of insects. I haven't really figured out what that means, but I'll, I'll leave that to the French or whatever. Um, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. All foods are clean. That's what Jesus said in Mark 7. That's what Peter said, learned in Acts 10. That's what Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 10, Romans 14, Colossians 2, and elsewhere. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. He's talking here about the, what in Acts 20 calls the whole counsel of God. Now, I want to talk a little bit here, by the way, of flight training. I talked, mentioned about it earlier. There's another thing about flight training. Whether you're a pilot or not, I think you can follow me here. If you're flying a plane and can see outside, you have a sense of where you are and what you're doing. But when you're in instrument conditions, because you can't see outside for whatever reason, you're now relying on instruments. And what's difficult there is that your body will tell you things are happening that aren't happening. It's called vertigo. And it's very, very real. And what you need to do is, what you have to do, if you have to learn to do, is trust the instruments. Because they'll be telling you that you're flying straight and narrow and you're convinced you're in a dive or a long spiral or something. And so there's a thing, you have six basic flight instruments. What they are are important to us, but six basic different instruments. Each one of them bridges two different parameters, but all six together tell you what's going. You're interested in you, what your attitude is, or where's your nose, are, you, are, you, are your wings level, are you... What's your attitude? Do you have power? Are you going too fast or too slow? Too slow, you'll stall. Too fast, you have the problems. You might feel you're going great, but you're going 500 miles an hour towards the ground. You'd like to know that, you know. So there's, there's attitude, there's, uh, there's power, and there's performance. What is your performance? And so the point is that the trick in learning how to fly is don't fixate. You'll have a tendency to pick one or two of these and lock on it. And if you do that, you'll be in trouble. The trick is what they teach you, they preach to you, they hammer you, cross-check, cross-check, cross-check. You want to know what all six are doing because each one is checking on the other. you got an altitude and you also got a rate of climb. Are you holding your altitude and your rate of climb zero? Okay, that part's okay. See, there's two inches telling you that part of it. Okay. What's your power? What's your speed? Is your airspeed okay if it's high enough to keep you airborne? But it's not beyond the structure of the aircraft? You know, is, is airspeed in the right place? You know, and so forth. Okay, so there are six instruments. It turns out you had have a natural tendency to fixate on, if I told you about each one, there's all kinds of reasons you'd fixate on that particular one. If you do, you're in big trouble. It's called cross-check, cross-check, cross-check. And there are all kinds of games they play to get you, which way do you cross-check? Rect you know, rectangularly, crisscross, there's all different little things. But the main point is you don't lock on one. You will have a tendency to lock on one. And if you do, you're in big trouble. Instrument flying. Whole idea. So, the point is, every Christian needs to do the same thing. 
you need to avoid what we call one-verse theology. Your key critical doctrines should be interpolated by the rest of Scripture. And you constantly want to be looking at all of it as best you can. That's the reason eschatology is such a difficult area to study because eschatology, the study of the last things, really demands of you to have in perspective the rest of the book. That's why it's so challenging. People who have these weird doctrinal ideas usually have specialized in some little area at the expense of everything else. And so that's the, that's the issue. So what we need to all of us do, one way to get at this is we need to feed on the Word every day. We need to feed on the Word of every day. And continuing, he says to Peter in verse 7, um, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise themselves rather unto godliness. This is an athletic metaphor. Paul spent three years in Ephesus in the Colise- where in the Colosseum they had the Olympic Games and all that sort of stuff, and they could see 100,000 people. Can you imagine that in the ancient world? Big stuff. You can visit that. By the way, you can visit that amphitheater today. And uh, see, the, the Greek or Roman athlete had to refuse certain things. He had to eat the right food. He had to do the right exercises, continually train. It was a, it was a life of commitment. And that's what he's really, that's why he indulges in these athletic metaphors. But he continued, for bodily exercise profits a little. People misunderstand that for a little while. Doesn't mean it's of little value. Okay, but it only lasts for a little while, is his point, okay? Bodily exercise profit a little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. That's his point. So you can exercise and stay in shape, and that's not bad to do, but that's for this lifetime, and maybe only a portion of it at that. And so, for a little while is what he really means. The great purpose of life is by shaping the character and conduct by truth. The Christian is to be as devoted to godliness as the athlete is to a sport. You all know athletes that are committed to their sport, right? That's the way we should be committed to godliness. There's only one book in the Bible committed to holiness. Book of Leviticus. You don't just read it, you've got to study it. Verse 9. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because... We trust in the living God, who is it the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Paul instructing his protege. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and in conversation. The word conversation, there, of course, means uh, behavior in charity, in spirit, in faith, and purity. Youth here, by the term in the Greek, is used to anyone under 40, if that makes you feel any better. Okay. Okay. And the word conversation really means behavior or your walk. Today, the word means something a little different. And faith always leads to faithfulness. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Give attendance. Devote yourself. Be absorbed in. Till I get there, be absorbed in. And the word exhortation sounds a little lofty. That means encouragement. Encouragement. Be an encourager. Be a Barnabas. Be an encourager. Doctrine. There were 22 references in these 13 verses to teaching or doctrine. Not trivial, very fundamental, basic stuff. Verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy. There's one of these hints that there were words of knowledge, laying on of hands and all that, with the laying on of hands in the presbytery. See, we're not to be passive, we're to be active. Question for yourselves, you don't have to raise your hand. Are you further along spiritually today than you were this time last year? Have you grown in the last 12 months spiritually? That's a question you have to think about. You should have a clear answer to that. 
Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Profiting means progress here in the term. Again, it's a military advance. It means a pioneer advance. It describes the soldiers that go ahead of the troops and so forth, clearing away obstacles and so forth, making it possible for others to follow is the idea. That's what the term means, really. That's what the Greek term implies. It's a military word. No pastor can lead his people where he has not been himself. That's interesting. Are you going through some unusual difficulty? Maybe it's because God is training you to help other people that will later experience that same difficulty. Often, trials that we go through are things that we are called upon to endure as a form of training to help others that will be on that same path someday. He almost echoes Peter when he said in Acts 3, such as I have, give I thee. Can't give you what I don't have. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That's the same again, the same warning that Paul gave the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. I'll have a little poem and we'll end this session. It's anonymous. I don't know where it came from. I found it, but I don't know where it, uh, it's an, apparently an anonymous poem. When God wants to drill a man, to thrill a man, to skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great a bolder man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him with the mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses with every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Kind of a strange meter, or maybe I muffed that up a little bit, but interesting, interesting thing. Next session, read chapters 5 and 6. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Timothy. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, please visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.